All right, precious Father, just bless our night tonight and strengthen us in our faith and our physical bodies. And we think of um, these amazing students and ask that you would just may a word or a sentence or a concept, a Bible verse, something uh, would just uh, just be permanently uh, impressed upon the heart. And uh, thank you for just the mystery of the church. Bless the team going to Atlanta tomorrow. Really breathe on every step, every word, everything, Lord. The team in Frederick, Lord, bless uh, Craig and Nikki up in York. Father, just prosper their works. And uh, our class tonight, we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we even made an Atlanta track. That's what I did in quarantine, Gary. You did? And then we made a digital e-card. That was another thing we did. Here's an interesting thing. If you want like a little thing, like if you're on outreach and you just need something to kind of promote your ministry, it's called about.me. And then, and then when you go to that website, you can create a little page where you can have a picture and a little bio and you can put social media links. And it's a great tool for... Um, for outreach. So we did um, about.me forward slash greater grace or GG Atlanta. So I can send that to somebody and they can capture us digitally just like that. So kind of a fun thing. I, I like that kind of stuff. So, all right. Um, so this is our last teaching class and it's kind of an important class uh, in my mind because. Our last class is talking about not taking our hand off the plow, amen? Not taking our hand off the plow. And um, I want to talk a little bit about how there'll be things that you face and how you respond to them will determine if you stay in your ministry or if you leave the ministry. And um, uh, I think we've all experienced this maybe to a degree, uh, but it just becomes more intense the more that you do the work of the ministry. You start, like as you minister to people, you enter people's warfare. And that, that's kind of an interesting statement I want you to kind of grab. Uh, you enter. You said when you minister to people? When you minister to people. Yeah, you enter their warfare. So you have your own warfare. But as you become... Uh, a bridge to Christ's life, of Christ's life, you're going to penetrate the darkness, Job uh, 12, 22. And what's going to happen is the demons in that person's life will potentially become a resistance in your own life. And because of the ministry and the authority of God, they will be dispelled. Amen? They will be. Because... Uh, we understand the synergy of how five send how many to flight? Once in a thousand, two send ten thousand. Yeah, yep. There is like an exponential pushback uh, with the authority of God in your life. So, but what happens though in the church planner's life is there is external battles and there are internal battles. Okay, external, the obvious ones, Ephesians 6. 10. This is uh, a chapter that theoretically many know, 
experientially, it's a whole other ball game that the armor of God is a critical, um, a critical part of staying in the game, staying in the battle. Okay, where when we understand spiritual warfare, and it is real. How many would attest that spiritual warfare is real? Okay. Oh, only half the class. For sure. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, it's So, but even though the devil is defeated, people might say, well, if the devil's defeated, what's the big deal? Well, the devil's defeated, but what is the devil's greatest tool? The lie that he is, like the devil has only the authority we give him. It's the only authority he has. So our fear and our doubt and our anxiety, our walking by sight, it just makes the devil usurp the authority that God has given. So think about the church planner for a minute. Uh, the devil hates you and I. Isn't that edifying? He hates us. He hates the Christ inside of us. So uh, when we consider, um, you know, about warfare, it is a lot of people blame a lot of things, but a lot of things that we face in our life is because of warfare. Now, I'm not saying we blame the devil for everything that goes wrong. That's not what I'm saying, because that's not right, because we, we give him too much credit, too much attention. But we are saying that the devil is very much the author of confusion, right? We see this in John 8, 44. And also 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 40. He loves, uh, he just loves to create confusion because he knows that you are building and ministering a kingdom that can never be moved. So he's going to do everything to mesh you and I up internally, externally, in our emotions. Um, I was reading through some statistics recently that uh, 53% of pastors feel that seminary has not prepared them for all of their ministry tasks. That's a big number. And who knows what kind of seminary they went to. I hope our seminary has a better statistic than that. 65% of pastors feel their family lives in a glass house and they fear they're not good enough to meet their expectations. A lot of family challenges, no doubt. And 58% of pastors feel they do not have good, true friends. That's a big one. That's a big one. So when you're a pastor or a minister, I don't want to make this like, um, I want to, we're talking about this in church planting. The key word that I want to stress to you is balance. You really want to have balance. Because uh, the devil loves a false balance, Right? A false balance is an abomination. So let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 9. So when we're talking about warfare, um, it's just important to understand that, that what keeps you out of your Bible is your enemy. What keeps you from praying is your enemy. What keeps you from getting uh, a personal time with God is your enemy. And those things can be good things, right? Now I don't want to take that out of out of too I don't want to make that too broad of a statement, but um, a lot of good things 
can uh, replace God. So we want to be very careful that in the process of church planting, church building, thinking like a church planner, that we don't lose sight of warfare, right? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9. So we understand that the armor of God is put on purpose, right? Just like we put on our clothes, right? We put on the helmet of salvation. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We gird ourselves up in the wisdom of truth. We have our feet shod in the preparation of the gospel. That's a big one, isn't it? A lot of the, a lot of the enemy, he wants to mar the feet so that there, there's no advancement, right? There's, there's trouble walking. Um, there's the sword of the spirit. There is the shield of faith. There is praying always in the spirit, right? Did I miss any? The helmet, yeah. The belt, yeah. 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 So when you're ministering to people, guess what? You may sense uh, opposition. Maybe you haven't sensed in a long time. Maybe there's temptations all of a sudden that are, are tempting again. Maybe there are issues in your life where uh, you've internalized things that uh, the devil's trying to turn the battle on you. And this is why uh, Jesus said that the only power over warfare is the word of God, right? So uh, it's so, so important to take care of yourself. And that's really my class tonight is to care for yourself, to be aware of yourself in this sense is that a lot of us as men and women, you can kind of just go 120% and lose yourself. And then all of a sudden what happens is uh, people wake up and they don't believe the Bible anymore or they don't love their wife anymore or they just, they want to go buy a red car and, and go to California. They just, there's a crash, there's a crisis. And I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. I've actually seen this, right? Uh, it's real, it's a real day. And it's because what happens is there's this propensity to marry the church and the work of the church and the mission of the church and then lose everything else. Like lose balance with your Bible, balance with your family, balance with accountability, balance with um, caring for yourself, okay? So does that make sense? Some of you are looking at me like, oh, yeah. what, what kind of class is this going to be? Uh, so, there's, so there's three kinds of care I want you to think about. There is personal care. I'm going to call this emotional. Like emotional care where you're taking care of yourself personally. Now, um, I remember in the Ukraine, um, there would be a day off where our team would have the day off. Um, the, I was the pastor, so I had the day off and it was not a time to reach out to me or uh, it was a day I needed with my family and just totally unplugged from ministry. Do you know how many calls I got on that day? It's probably my busiest day. Okay. And I remember early on, my wife just said, she helped me with that boundary. She goes, if you don't have one day or, or a few hours, um, you, you know, 
it will not be good for you. And so I learned that lesson, I think, the hard way in one regard, because, you know, our heart is in the right place. We love people, want to help people. Oh, my gosh, they're going to die without me kind of thing. No, they'll be okay, right? They'll be okay. Um, but you or I, if there, there's no personal care, personal rest, personal meditation, personal uh, unplugging to really reconnect and focus with God, uh, there will be a tremendous uh, deficit. Secondly, family. Now, your life is your greatest teacher to others. Your life, okay, is your greatest teacher to others. What do I mean by that? You may have an amazing message. You may have an amazing um, church and legacy and, and fruitfulness. But people are watching your life. They're watching your life under pressure. They're watching your life uh, under good times. And they're watching your life for goodness sure when it's bad times or suffering. And I can't tell you that people, I can't tell you enough that people will respect you and I uh, not based on what we say only, but what we do. Okay, so our actions speak a whole lot louder than our words. So when we're dealing with family, this is a, this is a very important point because family and marriage, um, how can someone take care of the household of faith if they can't take care of their own household? Paul said it, okay? So if my family's in shambles, how is it that I can... Uh, work with the church. Now, I don't want to put pressure on anybody in saying that your family life has to be perfect because that's not realistic. Uh, every family has trouble, right? But it's how you handle the trouble, right? There can be, um, you know, Satan constantly is trying to get you and I to quit. That's like his agenda, right? Now, in the pandemic, for every... Um, for every seven churches that closed, only three reopened. Okay? For every seven churches that closed, only three reopened. So maybe that's a good statistic. Maybe some churches needed to close. But I would dare say not in a lot of regard. Maybe people just took this opportunity to exit stage right. Right? So I can honestly say this in a personal way that... Warfare and the, the stresses of ministry uh, are significant. But I can also say in the next breath that God is so much so, he's so sufficient. He's so sufficient. But I don't want to make this like a, um, a rosy class. I want to kind of be really kind of raw with you this, tonight, a little bit about this, because uh, caring for yourself is like not a bad thing. Okay, I think people don't care for themselves enough, right? And they lose, they lose their families. And they lose their marriages. And their kids grow up and they want nothing to do with the church. I talked to a guy recently. He's a PKMK, pastor's kid and missionary kid. And he had a lot to talk to me about. And I just kind of endured that for a little bit. But it was not the best conversation. Because his father put the ministry above him, and the kid resented it. So 
There are reasons and understandable things in regards to that, and no one's judging or pointing fingers. But I want to present this to you so that you and I do that as little as possible, okay? I know with my son, I try to bring him with me as much as I can so that he can see not what I do, but the heart of God for people. Like we took him on the homeless outreach. How many people went on the homeless outreach? Wasn't that good? That was great. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, did you you went, Andrew, right? Yeah. I went Tuesday night with Pastor Carl here at Midnight Express. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. So your family, you want to um, you want to lead, not drag, but lead them by not just communicating how busy you are or how busy I am, but communicating the why behind the what and uh, making it fun. Like I have an eight-year-old. I try to make it fun for him. Is it fun all the time? No, it isn't. But I try to do little things along the way that it can be somewhat... Um, you know, enjoyable. I remember as a, as a small kid, my parents would do uh, uh, outreach and my mother was a tremendous soul winner and she would do a lot of soul winning on the beaches. Actually, Hampton Beach was one of her up in New England. Very, I remember being very small and watching her talk to, to other ladies about God. And I remember Tuesday night visitation. I, I had to be like 11 years old. And I just liked it because I would go to people's houses and eat, eat good food. You know, I was just kind of like, this is all right, you know. But I remember seeing my mother and father minister to people. I never really understood it until I was like 14, 15 in, my, in our youth ministry. And then I had an amazing youth pastor that challenged me to the, to the ninth degree. He just said, he says, you're not going to sit here and just have a comfortable Christianity. Like, you're going to be preaching. You're going to be... We did mime. We did pantomime. I was doing pantomime on the streets when I was 15. I loved it. We were preaching in Canada. We were always pushed in the right sense, and we had a lot of fun doing it. So, you know, having the whole family involved is amazing. So maybe you're here tonight, and your, fa your family's uh, grown and gone, and that's fine. I don't want you to be introspective tonight, but... I'm just saying in ministry, you want to include your whole family as much as possible. Now, I remember in my wife, this is kind of a funny story. Uh, people would come up to my wife a lot and have, you know, could you tell your husband this? And, you know, I haven't seen your husband. Could you give him this message? And, and I remember my wife early on saying, I'm not your secretary and I'm not your assistant pastor. Isn't that nice? I'm sure, Nikki, you've said that a few times, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> My wife is my wife, right? And for you that are married or will be married, that's all she should be. You know, she's your partner in ministry, yes. But, but your wife is your, um, what's a good way of saying it? She is the lover of your soul. You, you don't want to blur that in ministry in the sense where you don't, want you don't want to bring ministry home and let that be your relationship. You want it to be you and her and Jesus Christ, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Because marriage suffers. It can suffer greatly or it can excel. It can be amazing. Like I think of uh, some amazing married couples that um, they, they just complement each other for the mission. And that's what you want, right? Like Nikki and Craig back here, right? Yeah. How long have you guys been serving in ministry? Oh, about three years. Three years. Look at that. Together. It's great. 
That's great. My wife writes my messages for me. <laughs> She's the applause card in the back. Come on, people! Yeah. <laughs> Listen, they can be they are biggest cheerleaders. Oh. They are biggest cheerleaders. I call her my purpose partner. Oh, that's good. Honestly, that is one of the hugest things. If for for those that are not married, um, just to say that a wife plays an incredible part of encouragement. They don't realize, maybe you do, Nikki, but it'll make or break the man. It'll make or break us. So all right, so family, marriage, and then thirdly, thirdly, the other very important part of care is spiritual health. And this is really the first one, really, if we're putting it on top, on, on the right um, order here. I'm out of chalk again. Uh, okay, spiritual health. Now this is, this is, uh, let me just read this. It's uh, where we stay accountable. Now, this is interesting. Yes, we have a relationship with our Bible. Absolutely, we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes, typically a lot of church planners are strong here. And they're not strong on the other two. They're not. The overbalance comes where now I'm, I'm 300% ministry and 2%. Like I remember early on in ministry, my wife showed up at the front door and put out her hand and says, Hi, my name is Leah. And I was out seven days a week doing ministry. And I thought I was really, uh, you know, I thought I was really spiritual. But what was happening, I was not home. I was not home. I was out seven days a week doing some sort of ministry. When my son was born, that's when things really changed. My wife says, I have to have you home now. I have to have you home at least three or four nights a week. I said, but honey, I've got all this stuff to do. She goes, that's a great conversation to have. And guess guess who wins? <laughs> she does. <laughs> and there's compromise, but there's prayer, but there has to be a balanced home because if you if you come home to a tumultuous home, it really messes you up. It can. It really messes you up. So you want to have a peaceable home. A you want to bring home the life of Christ, and because your home is the first mission field, right? Um, Mother Teresa says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Wow. Okay? So this, I'll tell you, honestly, I see it. The family suffers the most in ministry. And it shouldn't be like that. Right? You know that? It shouldn't be like that. I've made mistakes. I'm sure you have too. But, um, so, spiritual health. So, now... That word accountability, we, we have a network, we call it a home base here. And what that means is we have a lot of churches that are connected. Uh, and the idea is that it's good for a leader to come. And I don't, I don't want to call it a sabbatical, but it's good to break away and be recharged, renewed, refreshed. I can't tell you the importance of that. Uh, we would have that overseas. I would travel to Hungary from the Ukraine. I would spend a week and just hear messages, talk to people, and just just get my head out of out of the out of the forest. Because sometimes you can be in the forest and you don't see the trees. You know what I'm saying? So, spiritual health. If you're spiritually healthy, then you will stay connected to the 
to the home base, you'll be able to really uh, have encouragement. Does everyone know what I'm talking about there? Do you know how few missionaries I met overseas that did not have a home church? I mean, it was like, it was probably eight out of 10 missionaries I met did not have a home church. They were alone. They said they were alone. And they would be out there four and five years. They'd come back and they didn't have a home church. People had forgotten about them. I mean, I would have missionaries cry with my wife and I because they felt alone. So that's not healthy for long-term missions or long-term church building. Because as pressure comes, you need need that support. Pastor Schaller was just talking about it. Uh, Wednesday night about Moody, the Moody Church in Chicago. It's been running for 150 years. How is that possible? Well, the roots go deep, right? So the, the, the mission goes deep, deeper than ourselves. So uh, as we're building, as we're building churches, strong churches, what are we doing? We're also making sure there's strong leaders. Because here it is, healthy men build strong churches. Okay, healthy men build strong churches. Okay, that's an important statement right there. All right, and I want to show you something else. Any questions on this? Does this make sense? What do you think about what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, okay. (laughs) Proverbs 14. Can you see where the imbalance can come in? Like the needs? Remember the whole dyke principle? The needs of the ministry will drive you to the max every time. You'll be, th- you'll be in your home with your family, but your mind will be on ministry. Is that good for the family? What do you do with your needs? you got to lay them to God in prayer, right? You build a team to help you with the needs, right? Because you can't be 100% 100% of the time. So let's say there's trouble in the marriage. And you're the leader of the work. What are you going to do? Who are you going to talk to? Do you know how many leaders don't have anyone to talk to because they're embarrassed? It's a real issue. So, like, it's important to have a network. Like, I, I personally have three people in my life. I can tell pretty much anything. Actually, that number is probably like five people, but three in particular. And that saved me several times because there will be trouble Trouble's inevitable, right? Job 3.8, man is born unto trouble. Isn't that edifying? Yeah, trouble. But if I have someone I can share my trouble with, that can pray for me, not judge me, that can actually speak into my life wisdom, guess what? You will be saved from what? From quitting, from doing a stupid mistake, from giving into temptation or... Um, Doing something uh, you'll regret. Any questions on that? I don't think I brought this up in a church planning class before. I should have brought it up a whole lot earlier. That's what I should have done. I was was reminded of this this week. I was thinking, gosh, I haven't talked really about this. But do you know what I'm saying? Is anybody? Is this ringing home with anybody? Yeah, it's good. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians 9 for a minute. Um, so, 
Your life is the greatest teacher to others. So even in failure, even in problems, even in divorce, even in uh, just absolute okay, church starts that flopped or, or splitting of churches or whatever mess that happens, guess what? God, it, when it's given to God, God can make something beautiful out of it. Like there can be a ministry. It can be a real uh, beautiful uh, message in it. There's a message in our mess, right? All right, 1 Corinthians 9. Let's, let's read this. I've referred to it about 100 times here. Let's, um, so verse 19. Uh, okay, so, uh, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win some. And to the Jew, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jew to those who are <coughs> under the law. <coughs> As under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without the law as without the law, not being without the law towards God, but under the law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that by all means have, that I may save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. Do you not know those who run in the race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they that do it up to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, uh, though I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest that I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. Isn't that interesting? So, so there's a race. There's, there is, uh, like with any preparation for any type of race, you are um, training because you're going to be maxed out. You'll be maxed out emotionally. You'll be maxed out physically. You'll be maxed out on so many levels. And then you know what's so beautiful is the Holy Spirit gives you what you need in those times. Isn't that good? Right? Now, I want to read something to you. I was talking with a pastor uh, this week who will remain anonymous. Um, and their church plant is in its third phase. Um, so they started a church plant. And then, and then they had a catastrophic event happen in their state, which... Um, there was major flooding. So the church plant started and grew, and then everyone had to take care of their own natural disaster, okay? They started again, and then COVID hit, okay? And now COVID has changed the way church, not necessarily changed the way, but it's really, it's changed our, our, our landscape. And now the third start for them is post-COVID because, because, <laughs> COVID's going to be with us now to the rapture in some, some shape or form. Everyone's like going bananas about now this new, this new strand. So I was talking with this, this pastor and I was just kind of listening to him. And it struck me just how God brought this man deeper. And how he, this man is really is seasoned in, in a way that uh, I never remembered seeing this in his life. Okay. So I want to give you a couple things here uh, before our break. Um, and uh, so 
the biggest thing is is we we lose when we quit, right? We lose when we quit. So there'll always be a reason to quit. There'll be an evil person. There'll be uh, maybe a group of the elders will be against you, or there'll be some sort of resistance that tests you to the max. And what you do with it, if you and I go deeper with God, that trial will, will promote you. That trial will deepen you. That trial will build you. That trial will uh, make the, the reality of God so much more personal in your life, right? Because isn't it true, it, like in Ephesians 6, uh, we wrestle not against people. Isn't that good? Your warfare is not with people. Don't forget that. Your warfare is never people, right? The devil may be energizing people, but God is allowing these things so that you lean stronger into him, right? So I was talking with this pastor about success, and he gave me this definition, and it's from Pastor Stevens years ago. Success, what is true success in a church? He writes, success is defining the will of God and following through to do it regardless of the outcome. I want to give that to you again. Success. What is a successful church leader? What is a successful father, businessman, single person, worship leader? Success is finding and defining and finding the will of God and once you found it, you follow through and do it regardless of the outcome. That's success. Now, Pastor Stevens gave this definition years ago, and I liked it because there will be such a tremendous projection that as, as the ebbs and flows of ministry, the high points when everyone loves you, and then the low points when you feel like you got a million people around you and when you feel like you have, you're alone, this is the beautiful point is you are a success. And I told this pastor, I said, you are a winner. I said, you're a winner. <laughs> Why? Because of Christ, period. I mean, regardless if your church is 150 people or, or two people, it is not a reflection that somehow you failed, okay? Now, um, and this is an important point that I'd like to develop in the second half. Um, there are two principles in ministry. When you, when, you have, when you have people come into your church, it's called the lake principle. Lake, okay? How many people like to vacation around a lake? Nobody? A little bit? <laughs> I know, Andrew, you like the waves. I saw a picture of you on this huge wave, by the way, man. You were like, that was insane. That was awesome. He's a surfer. A what, what goes on in a lake? Not much. Not much, okay. But, but embellish me. In, in a lake, okay. There's, okay. It, what is a lake? It's what? It's a body of water that's... Surrounded by lake. Yeah, okay, that's one. Okay. What do people do on the lake? Watch fish. Uh, kayak. kayak. Relax. Relax, good. Recreate, yeah. Fishing. Okay, good. Swimming. 
like the church can be like a lake sometimes, can it? We love the good times, right? We love the hot, lazy summer days and, and we're out there in our boat or we're out there swimming or out there fishing. Um, is the church like that sometimes? Yeah, it's true. There are good times when your staff is actually behind you, uh, when, when, you're, when things are clear and the mission is actually working, right? But this one pastor said the church better is described as a river. Okay, Better described as a river. Now, what happens with a river? It flows. It flows. There's movement. Okay, But what's in a riverbed? Rocks. There are rocks, right? Okay. And what happens is the river as wide as a lake? Not necessarily, right? Unless it's the Mississippi River, but let's maybe we can say it by, by just by illustration. A river is usually typically fast moving, it's narrow, there's there's obstacles, right? And people get in and out of rivers. Where a lake they can kind of, there they are in their little kayak or their little, um, their little boat, their pontoon. No, <laughs> and uh, it's more recreating. But this pastor was saying, and I like this, think of your church as a river. Think of your ministry as a river. Think about team life as a river. And why do I say that? Because people will be in your life for a season and then they won't be. And we got to get used to that. And this pastor and I were talking about, like, how is it that we can lose people? And how is it that we can gain people? And how is it that we can handle losing and gaining people? It's a very interesting conversation. I will never forget it. And it really helped me, right? Because in a church, unfortunately, there's a revolving door. If we could keep our people 100% of the time, we would be gigantuit huge, right? But we don't. We don't, right? And that's okay. Some people are called here. Some people are called there. Some people are here for the right reasons. Some people are here for the wrong reasons. We're not, we don't care about the reasons. We're loving people, right? But you could offer them a million dollars and people may not stay in your church, figuratively speaking. Why? Because it's a river. If you have a move, if you're in a moving, a movement or a mo, um, if it's moving, <laughs> that's the word I want. If, if you're moving and there is a mission, then people are going to be like, okay, this is way too serious for me, or this is way too awesome, and so I'm going to stay, or it's way too intense. I just want to be a Christian that comes twice a, twice a month and check my box. Then I remember Pastor Brian Lange saying this about greater grace. Come to greater grace and leave your life at the door. It's true. We're a discipleship church. Leave your life at the door. And it's like, some people don't want that. People don't want that. Some They're like, hey, whoa, you're way, way too serious. I just want the lake. Just give me my iced tea and a, and a little uh, floaty. <laughs> it's true. And, and God bless them, right? All right. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm going to kind of give a couple of, um, I want to give you five points that really will help you because you know what? 
and I'm sure you've experienced this to some degree, the people you think will stay, maybe they won't. And I don't know about you, um, I remember early on um, in working with pastoral care, I've worked on our staff for um, 16 years, and I remember early on just thinking, when new people came to the church, I, I became very excited and very much uh, in the right sense wanting them to stay and bending over backwards to do all that, that would be humanly possible to answer their questions and things like that. And then they leave. And then the one, you know, they leave in three weeks. And I'm thinking, I'm like, and I remember telling one person this. I said, I'm so sorry I failed you that you couldn't stay in greater grace. And it, I couldn't believe it actually came out of my mouth, actually. And the person looked at me and they said, you didn't fail me. I was like, then why didn't you stay? <laughs> this was like early on. I just was so, you know how you get attached in the right sense to people. You really see that God's moving in their life. This is exactly what they need in some regards. But the person in so many words say, you didn't fail me. They just didn't want it. They just didn't want it. It's like, an, it's like a person that's addicted. You cannot help an addicted person unless they want it. You can want it for them all day long. I was talking to a dear mother uh, two days ago. Son is chucked full of weed all the time. He's smoking weed every day. Every he is he's a chimney. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I love your son, but we can't help him until he is until he's until he is like sober in his brain, and, and um, we can talk to him and want it for him and do all these things. But until God allows him to detox, nothing's going to really happen. So anyway, you can want it so much for people. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't get attached to people. That's my, that's my, that's my statement. Don't, don't get attached to people. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. Number one, people will leave your church more easily than you think they will. (laughs) Now, have you ever heard Pastor Schaller say the door is tall and wide? Anybody ever hear him say that before? Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I heard him say that. I almost had a, I was passed out. It's like, Pastor, don't tell him that. <laughs> the idea was this. We want you here if you want to be here. We're not going to, we don't want to just like sugarcoat this. We want, you, we want you here because you want to be here and because God's led you here. I had another lady tell me years ago, she, had, she said, I had many reasons why to leave your church. She said, the only thing that kept me in your church is because of the doctrine coming from the pulpit. I said, that's amazing. That's the reason why anyone should stay in a church, because you're being fed. You're being ministered to in the Word. So this might seem like an out-of-box topic tonight, but I think it's very healthy. People will leave your church easier than you think. And as the leader, your blood, sweat, and tears, you are calling them, praying for them, thinking about them, preaching, caring. You're, you're pouring out your own soul. You're giving your whole soul to people. And then they leave. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to handle that? Well, I know some pastors, they get angry and they start to use their pulpit as a billy club, right? And that's, you never want to do that. You never want to use your pulpit to address problems in your church, right? How do you address problems in your church? The Word of God, right? 
And this is a, this is a very good point. Like you address trends, but you don't blast people or, you know, some people say, be careful what you tell the pastor because it could be an illustration in his next message. <laughs> yeah. That's very true, unfortunately. But when people leave your church, guess what? As much as we want them to stay, as much as we want them to grow, they're really free agents, right? And how people, this is an interesting, how people are treated based on how they leave speaks volumes to the people watching the family that left. I know one family that left the church and here in Baltimore and um, uh, about two years later, their father died and we were the only church, even the church that they were going to really didn't reach out to them. It was really odd. But we had reached out to them and um, actually prayed with them, sent them cards, sent them flowers, and had a personal touch. You know what happened to that, that family? They came back. They came back not only because they were ministered to with the loss of their father, but they weren't like, they were not preached against, they were not marked, they were not like um, demonstrated on what not to do, right? Do you know what I'm saying? How many, do you follow what I'm saying? Yes. Really important. How people leave um, it, it should be done in a, in a way where um, it's self-respect. Um, you want to have some self-analysis. Okay, was there a reason why they left? Was there a good reason why they left? Was it a reason that we caused them to leave? Or was it just them being moved on by the Spirit? So if there's a problem in the church, if there's like a mishandling of some sort, if there's some sort of uh, uh, mistake then what do we want to do with that? We want to own up to it, right? We want to um, sit with them, hear them, and apologize if need be, and or uh, seek, the ministry, seek the ministry of Christ and reconciliation, all right? So people, I, I might just stop here for the break, but people will leave your church easier than you think. But I, this one pastor, you know what he said? He said, I lost two families. I moved into a new building. And these two families left because they wanted something small. But guess what? The next Sunday, God added six families. Okay. Now, see the math there? I'm not saying those two that lost were any less than the six new families. But what goes on in the pastor's heart or in the, in the leader's heart is really important. Like, because you can, if, if, you, if we don't, process it with God, then God is saying, listen, uh, I might be removing these people to add these people. Maybe the people that you're leave that are, are I'm taking out of your church, maybe people that would have caused you trouble in your church. Who knows? Right? They want the lake. <laughs> they want the lake, right. Yeah. Okay, number two, people will leave you though you've never left them. People may leave you, but you've never left them. What does that mean? So you have people that God's put in your heart, and maybe they're, you don't see them for years and years and years, and they may forget about you. They may forget about the ministry, but guess what? You don't forget about them. It's, it's like, so as a, as a leader, God's expanding your heart 
And maybe you pray for them. Maybe you bless them. I knew a pastor that uh, would send his enemy a check every month just to bless them anonymously. <laughs> it was his personal money, not the church's money, but that's a very, very interesting story. <clears throat> Number three, some people can't stay because they don't have a capacity to stay. Okay, let's say wounded people come to your church and after a while you can kind of see the pattern and you can and you see that this is this this place this word this ministry this body life this the life of the family will uh, be so encouraging but the person can't stay because either they're they're damaged goods or they don't have the capacity to stay maybe their idea is religion on my terms maybe it's churchianity and and they're all broken up inside, and they can't just be someone that comes and is loved. So that's interesting. They can't stay because they don't have a capacity to stay. What do you do with people like that? You love them. You invest in them. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Gary and Craig and every one of you, it's like... You just, all of a sudden, God knits your heart with the person, and you're just like, you really care about them. You, you like, really genuinely have a vision for their life. And maybe they're with you for a year. Maybe they're with you for 15 years. Maybe they're with you for a week. It doesn't matter in one sense. God has you in their life now, and maybe you're blessing them and investing in them from where they're going to be going, right? All right, I want to save the other two uh, for the next class. Let's take a break. Any questions on this? Is this interesting? It's an interesting system of thinking, isn't it? Now, believe me, God's going to add to your churches. <laughs> I don't want you to go home thinking there's going to be like this deficit, but but it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And... Uh, and it's fun just to see how God adds. Okay, Lord, bless our break in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, can we finish this? Uh, let's go through this list again. Um, hey, I'm excited about caroling tomorrow. It's awesome. Aren't you going to? It's going to be a good time. What I love about Frederick is um, people are wide open, you know. I remember a guy one time on the streets asked me, he found out I was a pastor. He goes, he goes, why are all the churches closed? And I go, that's my question too. <laughs> I said, we're, we're a church without walls. We're on the streets. We're just, uh, we're, you know, the people are the church. So, yeah, anyway. Lord, bless the second half in Jesus' name. All right, we got to, I want to kind of finish this thought, and I don't mean to belabor it, but I just love my conversation with Craig and Nikki back there. Um, so what are we saying? The church is either a what? A what? Or a river, okay. So um, so people will leave more easily than you think. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. Uh, people will leave, though you've never left them. Like they may blow you off, but you really may genuinely... Uh, Pray, love, and care for them. And and by the way, how someone leaves, uh, Craig was sharing with me about 
uh, when someone goes to another church, usually the pastor would ask for a letter of standing or recommendation. And sometimes they can get scathing letters like, you know, and that's not how a person should leave a church, like in a bad way, um, because uh, you might be inheriting someone else's problems. So you want to just definitely um, do it in a gracious way. Uh, some people can't stay because they don't have a capacity to stay, right? All right, number four. Here it is. You ready, number four? It will bother you more than you think and more than it should. I was talking with this pastor last night, and he just couldn't shake it. But I don't know if you're like this way, like you can talk it out and process information, and it'll help ease and put the, the, inf- the pain in the right place. So, so what do you do with information that you can't shake? What do you do with it? Take it to the cross. Take it to the cross, exactly. Yep. You can take it to prayer. Um, maybe take it to your, to your mentor, talk, talk with them. Uh, it's not wrong. The more we love, the less we're loved in that regard that Paul said, we're human. So don't forget the human side of you, you superheroes out there. <laughs> uh, Emmanuel with the Godfather shirt. That's very uh, Ecuadorian. That's kill, killing me right there. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Can you talk like the Godfather? Hey, pass the cannolis. Okay. Actually, we had a funny thing happen tonight. My wife and I ordered a pizza out through DoorDash. Well, there's a new, there's a reason why they call it DoorDash because someone ran in the door and dashed with our pizza, and we never got it. <laughs> so we're like calling up the pizza place, going. Hey, like, where's our pizza? And, oh, the guy came and already took it. And, oh, he hasn't come to our house. And they found out someone stole my pizza. So they made us another pizza. And just as a way of, a way of apology, they put some cannolis in there, you know, on the side. Wow. Do you guys like cannolis? What is that? Italian cookies. You guys, you know cannolis, right? There's those tubes with the cream inside. Oh. Death on a stick. Oh, my gosh. Very... <laughs> Sugar coma. Okay. Number five. Okay. Number five. It will cripple your ministry if you don't get to a point where you accept and have peace in your heart about people that leave your church. Okay. So you don't want to be too cavalier. Like some people leave and they're like, hey, they didn't even know I left. Like I typically, I have the joy in our ministry of calling people and saying, hey, listen, Um, I understand that you've moved on. I just want to say we love you. We're praying for you. Is there something that we can help you with in your next step on your Christian journey? Like I make those calls, which can be very delicate. But those, those are good calls to kind of put the cat on the table. Because um, if people go without any type of recognition, that's not good either, right? Do you know what I'm saying? So you want to handle it in a way where people uh, are free to go. It's their choice, but also want to make uh, make known that you recognize them, that you love them. All right. All right. I want to give you a couple other points on um, 
that will also help us in this line of thinking. Uh, as a as a church leader, as a pastor, uh, you will be more committed to your church than anybody else. That's a, that's a good point to remember. You will be more committed than everyone else. So people that you think may stay or may easily go and it might surprise you like don't they understand I've done all this for them and all that kind of thinking you can't you can't think like that because God has wired you and I to uh, lay down our life for the sheep first John chapter 3 he that layeth down his life for his friends has the greatest love okay so commitment okay so I, I was telling the, the Mabels back there that uh, the three things I always tell myself with any type of work is I am the Lord's, the work is the Lord's, and the results are the Lord's. Okay, I am the Lord's, work is the Lord's, the results are the Lord's. So um, again, as God adds, praise the Lord. As God takes away, praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And ultimately, who's, I mean, who's the mission field here? It's you and me, right? It's you and me. It's you and me, okay? Number two, uh, people will try to vilify other people by justifying why they're leaving your church, okay? People will blame it on, you don't have good music, you don't have a good child's program you don't have a I can't follow your messages they'll somehow blame you for the reason why they're leaving your church don't take that personally don't take that personally I mean certainly we want to build and, and make right what's wrong or, or strengthen what needs to be strengthened but remember people will try to vilify or blame you okay they'll try to find a reason to, to base their exiting on, uh, on, on a personal decision. So somebody might say, um, I left because I don't like the color paint on the walls. I mean, that might sound funny, but that does happen. People, people get really weird like that because they're, they have no personal vision. So don't take their reasons personally, okay? This might seem like common sense tonight, but it, it's funny in warfare or in or in difficult times, these simple things can be pretty profound. Okay. Um, so number three, remember God's people are God's people. Isn't that good? God, they're they're God's people. So thank you, Lord, and we're stewards of the manifold grace of God. So. Um, no matter why it is that they're leaving or why is it why it is that they're staying, we want people to stay for what reason? Why do we want people in your church? They want to grow God. They want to grow, yeah. They want to be what else? What else we want them to grow? Disciple, right? Right? One pastor said it like this, I think it was Stanley, he said that it doesn't matter how many people you sit in your church. It matters how many people you send from your church. Okay, so you want, yes, we want people to stay and grow, but we also want people to be active and also very um, 
active in their personal walk and faith. Okay? All right. And then lastly, okay, and I read a lot about this today. Don't forsake your mission for people pleasing. Okay, don't forsake your mission for people pleasing. Okay? And I want to show this verse to you, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, is, it, is it 2 Corinthians 10, 13? This is an interesting verse. All right, someone give me an example of people pleasing. Teaching or preaching a message that pleases people and staying away from certain doctrines or um, topics that uh, will offend someone. Okay, good. Okay. Having more of a soulish relationship with them, spending too much time, or spending time that doesn't have like. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Anybody else? What else is people pleasing? Okay. Flattery. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> I mean. It's like the soul of man is is insatiable. You like you you can never do enough to keep people. You need have something deeper. I think the verse I'm looking oh here it is. First Corinthians chapter uh, sorry, second Corinthians chapter ten <coughs> verse twelve and thirteen. L- look at these verses for a minute. Um so don't forsake your mission. Uh you will sometimes be unpopular. People will love your messages at times, and then some people will be offended at your messages or your actions at times. But if it's if it matches your mission, okay, then you're on target. Remember, people change, you change. God never changes. So make sure your it's what you're doing is 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 focused to your mission. Okay, we said originally our mission. Well, what did we say originally about our mission? It's to preach, teach, and disciple uh, people in the Word of God. So let, who wants to refer to uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13? Andrew, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, yes, Gary, go ahead. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who pretend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Mm-hmm. We, however, will not boast beyond measure but within the limits of the sphere which God appoints us, the sphere which especially includes you. Okay. Uh, keep going. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, mm-hmm. not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Okay, good. Uh, actually, read the 17 too. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Perfect. Okay, there it is. All right. 
See, see how the, the sabotage, the sabotage happens when we compete, compare, and criticize. Okay. These are, this is the great sabotage. Okay. We compete, compare, and then we criticize. Okay, we criticize one another. All right. So it, it all starts with this, um, the people pleasing, right? What happens is we begin to compare ourselves with ourselves and amongst ourselves, and then we commend ourselves. We're like, oh, how great we are. You know, sometimes when you go into a ministry, it's easy to boast about your fruitfulness. Be careful with that. I'm just going to say be very careful with that because you want to be thankful absolutely of the fruitfulness that God has you, but you don't want to boast in it. Yes. Boasting means that that becomes your identity. Like what's wrong with you? Why aren't you like us? Like you're doing something wrong. You're not as great as us. Look what we're doing. That is a, that is a wrong spirit. Like humility is we boast in the Lord. Humility is we glory in the Lord. Yes, we are thankful and to demonstrate the faithfulness and fruitfulness of God. Yes, yes, yes. But it's not our banner. Our banner is Christ. Our banner is Christ. So when people come into your ministry, they're going to come with ideas and they're going to have certain expectations and preferences. And you want to keep Christ in the middle of it all. Sometimes people might say, well, I'm not going to spend time with this new person because they're just going to leave anyway. That's a wrong attitude. That's, that's, even, that's even more terrible. Who knows who that person is that walks through your door? Who knows that maybe a word or a ministry of love might change their heart and heal them for their future in Christ? I mean, I've had people say to us here at Greater Grace, like, I've never been accepted and loved in a church before. Did they stay in our church? Most have. Some have, moved, some have moved on, and they're very fruitful in other churches. One size does not fit all, and that's okay. I'm not going to like personally get bent out of shape because that person didn't stay because of all the things I've done for them. It doesn't even matter. Uh, I remember, but, but the, the comparing, see, these are big words. Compete. When I compete, let's say I compete with Andrew. Andrew's very gifted. Say I compete with him. What happens immediately when I start to compete with Andrew? What's the first thing that happens? He will boost, he will, be, he will boast, boost him. Like he will get pride. Yeah. Well, you'll put him down. Correct. Okay. I stop receiving from him. I have to put him down now because I'm insecure and I, I want people to think I'm greater than him. That's all rubbish, right? Mm hmm. But I want to. I don't want to compete from with Andrew. I want to receive from Andrew. Yes. I want to say thank you, God, for Andrew. I need his portion, and he needs mine. No, just kidding. <laughs> he doesn't. I'm just teasing. No, I'm serious. It's like who cares? If, like this is the beautiful thing about when we're just focused on the Lord. Who cares who gets the glory as long as God gets it? Correct. So competing is really like immediately. Be, I, I'm unable to receive from the other person. Then I begin to compare. And that's, that's like self-righteousness comes in, right? And then criticism. Like I remember, 
I remember there was a time in our church when Pastor Stevens was not preaching, people would not come to the church for the message. Okay? There was a, you know, I'll just say what it is. That was, that's wrong. Who, the Holy Spirit is the one that's, that's uh, faithful to communicate through the minister. Years ago, and that was a select few, but I'm just saying, like, uh, that may happen to you. You may have your, you might, uh, David said it often in the book of Psalms, like, my good friend has kicked up their heels against me. Conspiracy. There may be trouble in how you handle it. Isn't this a great way to end the class? <laughs> I hope you have fervent churches, but there's trouble. There's trouble in fruitful churches. It's just the nature of it. Um, because God has to prune the church to bring forth fruit. I remember my brother in Houston, he was talking about talking with a, a gentleman um, you know, who learned about greater grace and who knows about our history. And he goes, and my brother was like, oh gosh, and I wonder what he's going to say. And and that's what he said. He says, he says, he says, all fruitful churches have trouble. And that's it. And if you didn't have trouble, then you really wouldn't be a church, because if you're, you're going to have enemies, right? Right. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Right? Isn't that good? <laughs> so, so as we grow and um, are in trouble, in the right kind of trouble, then uh, God gives the increase. All right. So. This is Second Corinthians is a big verse in my mind. Any questions on that? Yeah, go ahead. Like, um, Mm-hmm. And um, just to like to be in that place where okay, God, I, whatever is going on, like you're in control, mm-hmm. like surrendering control to, to God, you know, in, in the, all these areas. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate goal, isn't it? That we that we let. I mean, look at second look at Second Timothy for a minute. There's a good. That's a good verse. That's. I mean, Gary, you just said it. Surrendering control. It's like, okay, Lord, my plan, you know, God does not anoint plans, he anoints people, right? So he's he's constantly leading us to himself. Second Timothy two twelve, I think it is. Who wants to read that? Yes. All right, that's a good verse. Not the verse I was looking for, but that's a good one. <laughs> it's one twelve, I think. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, but that's a good verse too. Erin, you want to read one twelve? Second Timothy. Emmanuel, go ahead. Sure. Second Timothy one twelve. I'm sorry. Second Timothy one twelve. These are all good verses. <laughs> Go ahead. It says, "For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Okay, perfect. Okay. What is he going to keep? That which I committed to him. That's the big point right there. What's not surrendered to him, he will not keep. And it might, it, it literally, what I've not surrendered to him may take me from him in, in a lot of ways, right? So this is an important verse. And then, you know, again, he gives that exhortation in 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you've heard of me in the faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, uh, in the midst of your church's growing and your learning, give lots of grace to yourself. This is really important. I usually, I usually call it the dump truck of grace. Just, just, man, just back up the dump truck when you're hard on yourself, when you're, when you're like maybe um, wishing you could do it all over again. And like this pastor was saying, like he asked himself, like, why, why, you know, why am I doing this? Like he started to self-analyze. And that can be a little dangerous, especially when you're under the gun. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just ministered to him and said, you know what? You're doing this as a, as a ministry of worship for me. And it set this, this person free. And, um, and I think that's important. That's important. Like we're, our life is, a, is an act of worship, right? So in the good times, in the dark times... Um, understand that the ministry of God is a mystery. It's an absolute mystery. And ultimately, we're learning Christ. Ultimately, we're, we're going to see the faithfulness of God. And ultimately, we're going to see uh, God win those that he's called us to win, right? Remember in the book of Acts, he added to the church as was God's will, right? Over and over and over. So just to encourage ourselves. So uh, the lake and the river, right? So don't quit. It's too important what you're doing, right? Like their engineers are great. Teachers are great. Um, businessmen are great. But there are few pastors, few missionaries, right? Uh, very few doing the work of the ministry. So, And it's the work of the ministry that is the reflection of society, not the government. Our government is a laughing stock. It's like some bad dream. I turn on the news for like 10 seconds and I start to have a cardiac arrest. I'm like, it's terrible. But, but the church, the ministry of the spirit, prayer, soul winning, soul winning, soul winning, um, rescuing, right? Job 32, 23, good verse. There might be one person in a thousand and you're, and you're seeking for them. I want to read, um, I want to read one thing by uh, Leonard Ravenhill. And um, we wrote this, uh, that, and I just was reminded of it right now. Um, it's, it's a great, it's, <laughs> anybody know who Leonard Ravenhill is? Okay, it is uh, something we wrote in the, um, okay, you ready? We wrote, we, <laughs> we, we wrote this in Wings of Glory about a year ago. Um, so Len, Leonard Ravenhill is a very, was a very powerful preacher who's now in heaven 
And uh, he, he said this statement in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in one of his messages. So he says, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. <laughs> Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Isn't that powerful? So Leonard Ravenhill, he was a um, very strong preacher, and he wrote that. And I read that maybe 10 years ago, and I just never... I just I try to keep that in my front my front view. Isn't that good? Yeah. All right. Any comments or questions? Wasn't that convicting? It was good. Very, very so few sing, many singers, but few clingers. Right? <laughs> All right. All right. It's been it's been a joy to teach you this semester. We're gonna have a review next week. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So remember half your. Half your final will be this Frederick uh, mission, and then the other half will be a, a small written test. Just about 30 questions or something, 50 questions. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> All right, any comments? Talk to me. What do we, we talk about tonight, real quick? What do we talk about tonight? What stood out to you? Okay. Good, yes. Good. Good, good. The lake and the river. Easy to keep. Water skiing on the lake or? Good. Success is finding the will of God. Good, yes. Pastor Schiller also said one in one message, he said, find the will of God and do it and God will take care of you. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Regardless of the outcome. Right? I like what Mother Teresa said. You want to go change the world, go home and love your family, right? Yeah. And I love how you love your family, uh, Gary. His sister just celebrated a birthday. You know, it's great. I love Jack and Laura. They're great people. And the way you love your parents, you have such a ministry. It's good. What's the greatest teacher? What's the greatest teacher? When people look at you, what is the greatest teacher? Our lives. Our lives. Not what you say, but what you do. Exactly. Good. Good. Anybody else? I mean, into the people life is warfare. Good. Yep. Is it always about people? Not really. No. Very few, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There will be resistance to get you to quit, but that trial will. Yes. That's big right there. It's just, it's just like it's just like this. It's like, okay, quitting's not an option. I tell my son, okay, 
We don't say can't, it's always can. We're gonna figure out a way, okay? I'm gonna drop the apostrophe T off. We're gonna figure out the can and the can't, right? It's the same principle there. If there's a if there's a plan B, guess what? You know, if there is no plan B, right? Sometimes we get on our knees and maybe we're on our knees for a week trying to figure out how this is going to work. Like, Lord, why isn't my church growing? Or why is it that uh, there's so much oppression in my life? Or why is it that, um, you know, maybe it's all good. It's good. Thank God for the good. Like, thank you, Jesus. You, I sent your presence. Like, I remember Pastor Shaw praying for a year. He wanted salvations every church service. He's like, Lord, why aren't people getting saved in the church? And that was one of the uh, reasons why we started a prayer, prayer uh, Wednesday prayer time on the first day of Wednesday of the month. And I think also if it is late, our church is ministry, there will be not, not resistance, everything is fine. But if it is real, something will be shaken. Yeah. So right. it's good to have some kind of resistance. Actually. Yes. Yes. White water rafting. Anybody ever do that before? <laughs> Scary stuff. <laughs> All right. Any last words, Gary? Yeah. Uh, in the river. Be in the river. <laughs> Seal Team Six dropping them in. Oh, dark thirty. Here they go. Lord, bless our night. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we. They're your people. If we have them for five minutes or five years or 50 years, Lord, just help us to care for your people. Give us a vision. Give us a burden, a heart of love. And if they come for a moment, help them to uh, just find Christ in that. May they have an encounter with you, Lord. Lord, help us in the transitions. Strengthen us and uh, be our shield, our defense, our buckler our habitation, our fortress. And Lord, build our churches. Really build our churches, Lord. Draw people that are hungry for you, for the right reasons. Lord, build our churches in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.